Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Mark. The Gospel Record of Mark in chapter number 9. The Gospel Record of Mark in chapter number 9. We're continuing with our series of the Gospel Record of Mark. And we're watching as Jesus Christ is walking with his disciples. And we're watching the actions of our Lord and Savior as his actions prove that he is indeed God. As we left last time, we had saw Jesus Christ take three of his inner circle of Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration. And there Jesus was transfigured, turned inside out, that he had a robe of flesh. And just for that moment, he took off that robe of flesh and revealed himself as God. And he had a conversation with historical Moses and his conversation with historical Elijah. And Peter looked at this and what a great experience that was and to hear God's voice come from heaven what a great experience that would be but I want to remind you that we can't stay up on the mountaintop we can't always just stay where everything is perfect and right we got to go back down to earth we got to go back down in the valley and deal with real problems It'd be wonderful if we could just stay in a sense of revival and just stay at a place where we're communing with God. But the reality is, is that we've got to go back home. You've got to go back and deal with real problems, pay bills, deal with employers, deal with employees, co-workers, deal with people at school, deal with things that are breaking at home, dealing with family, physical, finances. We have to go back and deal with real life. Those things don't go away and just because you're a Christian and just because you're having a good time communing with the Lord doesn't erase those things that need to be dealt with. And so here, Jesus Christ is coming down off the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And when they come down off the mountain, there's already things waiting for them to do immediately. And let's pick up the story in the book of Mark, the gospel record of Mark chapter 9. And notice with me in verse number 14. The gospel record of Mark chapter number 9. And notice with me in verse number 14. Notice what the word of God says. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them. And the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth. And gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered him, and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? And how long shall I suffer you? 
bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear at him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oft times it cast him in the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing, but by prayer and fasting. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark that phrase that Jesus Christ said in the gospel record of Mark chapter number 9? The gospel record of Mark chapter number 9, and notice with me in verse number 29. The gospel record of Mark chapter 9 and verse 29, notice what Jesus said, this kind. This kind. And with the Lord's help, we want to explore this kind and see what Jesus' solution was to this kind. If you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you that we can trust you, that we can depend upon you, that you can help us. Thank you that you are always a trustworthy God. Even now, I'm asking you to help us. Open up this passage in a way to help us. There's many things that are going on in our lives, both in the world and in our personal lives. We need to know how to deal with them. We need to know how to deal with those things that are bigger than us, that we can't handle, that we can't fix on our own. How do we deal with these kind, this kind? Even now, fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose that you would open up your scriptures in a clear way to be a help to your folks, that we can apply these things. Help us now. You get your own work accomplished through your precious word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Early in our country's history, there was a church. And in this church, they had called a brand new pastor. And after a couple of weeks, they were concerned. You see, this pastor had wrote out his sermons longhand. And then he would take his sermons that were written out word for word. And he would take them and he would read them in a monotone voice. This kind cometh not but by prayer and fasting. And that's how he did all of his sermons. 
Well, the church folks were quite disappointed, especially since their previous pastor was a very fiery preacher. But they realized that they had an obligation and they didn't just want to criticize their pastor. And so they banded together and they agreed that they were going to pray and fast for the preacher. But they told him about it and they had him and said, Preacher, we're letting you know that we're not quite happy with the sermons. We're not quite happy with how it is going. And so we're asking you, sir, to pray with us. That we've determined that we're not going to yell at you. We're not going to criticize you. But we're going to treat this by prayer and fasting. And we're going to pray and fast for you every day. And we want you to pray and fast. And we want to see what God is going to do. Well, the preacher's name was Jonathan Edwards. And he took the rebuke seriously and knew that he needed to get a hold of God. And so he did. He prayed and he fasted and he prayed and he fasted. And the Sunday morning he came up once again having his entire sermon longhand. Put it on the pulpit. And once again read every word in a monotone voice. But something happened. That people almost trampled others to get to the altar to get saved that Sunday. As he preached the famous message, sinners in the hands of an angry God. That sermon was preached in that pulpit and people got saved. Some others wanted to hear that sermon and so he again took that manuscript and read it word by word and a monotone voice and more people came down and almost trampled others to get saved and it sparked what we call in our nation's history the Great Awakening. It got to the place where people knew what was going to happen if that sermon was reached and people were often trying to block him from going into a town to preach that message. Obstacles were so far. And just revival broke out. Salvation broke out. Church people finally got saved and got right. And an amazing thing happened that helped prepare our nation for nationhood. And preparing the spiritual life of the people. Why? Because of a group of church folks that were not happy with their situation. Instead of complaining, decided that they were going to do this kind. And they were going to handle it, as Jesus said, by prayer and fasting. You'd be amazed what happens when God takes over and we get out of the way. As we come back to our story here and come back to this historical event in the life of Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is coming off the mountain with Peter, James and John. And as they come down off the mountain, you could almost imagine as they're looking down in the valley, a crowd of people in the valley. Well, they had just left the disciples there. What is this? And as they come back down off the mountain, they could hear arguments and fighting and jeering and All kinds of noise coming from this. And the very first thing I'd like to show you as we explore this text is a tragic development. A tragic development. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 14. And when he, that's Jesus, came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, his disciples, 
and the scribes questioning. This word questioning here carries the idea of disputing. So it's the idea of questioning uh, not for knowledge, but for the idea that they want to argue and fight. And they're jeering at them. And so they're coming down off this mountain. And here's a big crowd. The disciples are in the middle of the crowd. The crowd's almost ready to riot. And they're being sparked by these scribes who are provoking and disputing and fighting. And the crowd is getting worked up. And it's a big deal. This isn't a nice peaceful thing. This is a thing where the disciples are all surrounded and they're very much in trouble by a crowd. Notice what occurs. Verse 15, and straightway all the people when they beheld him, that's Jesus, were greatly amazed, running to him, saluted him. So they see Jesus coming down and they go, hey, there's Jesus. Let's go to find out from him. Let's find out what the answer is. That's always a good thing when the leader comes back and immediately people say, oh yeah, we're going to go ask him. That's always a good sign something's going on. And so they all come up and greeting him, hey, hey, we got a question for you. And verse number 16, and he asked the scribes, what question, remember this idea of question is, is disputing. Why question ye with them? Why are you fighting with them? Why are you arguing with them? Why are you getting in a big dispute with them? What's your problem with them? What's the thing that's going on right now? And so before they can answer, someone in the midst of this multitude speaks up. Verse 17. <clears throat> now, we have this big crowd that's gathered together. We could see that it's fo uh, foaming at the mouth. <laughs> it's going to talk about this man here, uh, the boy in a bit. But this whole crowd is starting to get out of hand. This whole crowd is not listening to reason. This whole crowd is ready to basically eat up the disciples. And Jesus comes and can see that here is a bad situation. A very tragic development. Something horrible that is going on. Now what has been happening here? is that this man had a, a son that had a devil in him. Now the disciples had already got used to the things in the Christian life. What do I mean by this? Well, they had already been sent out two by two to go into the towns. And they had been given power to cast out demons to heal the sick. They had already been preaching. And so this has kind of got to the place where they're used to it. They're used to going to a town and casting out demons. They're used to going into a town and they're casting out the, the uh, healing the sick. They're already used to dealing with things. So this man hearing about the disciples and hearing about Christ had heard about them and traveled all this way to get his son delivered. Now because the disciples were used to things... In my mind, in imagination, I could already see them getting a little bit prideful. Getting to the place where I got this handled. I can do this by myself. I know how this works. And by the way, we could get to the place where, well, this is what I do here and this is what I do here. And we could get so used to doing things in the Christian life that we don't depend on God anymore. We know when to stand up, when to sit down, when to open our Bible, when to do this, when to do that. And we get to the place of routine. We get in the place where we're stuck in a rut. And all a rut is, is with a grave both, with both ends knocked out of it. We get used to handling things ourselves. 
We used to say in this prayer here and doing this here and now I lay me down to sleep and rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for this grub. And we get to the place where it's old hat. We get used to seeing different things. If I say this, this happens. If I say this, this happens. And we get used to that. Well, the disciples had gotten used to the Christian life. They had taken it for granted that Jesus had given them power over the sick and over the devils. And so you could imagine as this man comes up with his son and saying, here is my son. He's got a devil in him. Can you cast him out? And you could see one of them. <laughs> Maybe it's uh, James the Less. Yep, snaps his fingers back. All right, boys, I got this. And you can imagine as they say, all right, hold him there. And you could see him rub his hands. And I don't know how they did it, but just watching people off TV, I can imagine this. So they get their hand ready. Be healed! And smack him on the forehead and nothing happens. Well, that's kind of embarrassing when you try to heal someone and cast out a demon and it doesn't work. And so he says, wait, 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 wait. I, I didn't get a good enough running start. I got this this time. I got it. All right. Be healed. Nothing. And so you can imagine one of the disciples saying, hey, you know what? <laughs> I got this. You're, you're James the Less for a reason. All right. Maybe it's Bartholomew now. All right. I know. We got this. Let me show you how it's done. And so he tries his crack. Maybe he does it from a different angle. Maybe he tries something different. But the same effect, be healed. Nothing. Well, after this, some people are noticing this noise come up. This big show is going on. And they start to gather. All right, now the pressure's on because you got an audience. It's one thing when it's just me and dad and the son. It's another thing now I got the disciples, my co-workers watching me. But now a crowd starts to form. And so maybe someone else goes up. Maybe it's Nathaniel. All right. <laughs> I'm the first disciple. I was the first one to follow the Lord. I got this. Let me show you how it's done. Maybe he tries something different. Maybe he gets his green hanky out and washes it over him or whatever trick they have. Nothing. Now the scribes start coming. And they said, hey, I heard about your miracle working power. How come it's not working? Oh, did it not work for you? Well, that's not good. And so now they're starting to provoke the crowd. And they're starting to say, look, they're frauds. They can't do anything. We told you. Now you can see it with your own eyes. Come on, boys. Where's your power? Can't you cast out a little demon? You say you can. And now trouble is brewing. And now the disciples are surrounded by a hostile crowd who, by the provoking of the scribes, think that they're frauds. And they're taking advantage of people who are in a helpless situation. And now instead of being the great disciples. They are very much in trouble. Surrounded by a hostile crowd. That is being provoked by people that hate the Lord Jesus. Not a good situation. And this is the mess. 
that the disciples find themselves when Jesus comes down. And so as Jesus comes down, you could almost imagine the disciples saying, oh, there's backup. Oh, get this off of us. They see them, they get the crowd, the crowd starts going. The man comes up to explain what happened. So we start off with the tragic development, but then we see the terrible demon, the terrible demon. So <laughs> verse 16, or verse 17 rather. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he, that demon, taketh him, my son, he, the demon, teareth him, my son. And he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. Notice what else happens to him in uh, verse number 20. And they brought him to him, and when he saw him, he straightway saw the ter uh, spirit tear him, and he went to the ground and wallowed foaming. Verse number 22, Jesus is asking about it. Oftentimes it, the demon, had cast him, my son, into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Here is a man who's been stuck with this demon from a time that the boy was a child. And now the boy presumably is into manhood and he's still at a place where he's at the mercy of this demon. Notice again, as we just take our time and look at it, um, verse number 18, and wheresoever he, the demon, taketh him, he teareth him. This idea of tearing him in this case here, carries the idea that it throws him down. So you can imagine trying to walk with a child and all of a sudden the child rips himself out of the dad's arm, throws himself on the ground and just begins to convulse and just jerks away. He's thrown to the ground and he foameth. This, this boy, can you imagine your boy, the one that you love, and he gets to the place where he's foaming at the mouth like he's rabid. This boy, it gnashes with his teeth. It's always grinding his teeth and pineth away. What, but it gets worse, verse 22. And it cast him into the fire. So imagine you're having a cookout. You're cooking hot dogs. You're getting s'mores. And all of a sudden, the boy gets up, starts foaming up the mouth, and starts walking into the fire. You can't take him anywhere because here's a child that's always trying to jump into the fire. That's a dangerous situation. Children do not belong in fire. But think about this. He cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. What does that mean? That means the boy sees a, a, a body of water. Perhaps it's a pool. Perhaps it's a fountain. Perhaps it's the ocean. But the boy goes and just walks into the water, doesn't swim, just goes to the bottom, and he doesn't come back up. And the dad has to go in there and pull him back out because the demon's trying to kill the boy. So it's not just that he's having convulsions. It's not just the idea that he foams at the mouth and that he can't speak and that he jerks from. It's the idea that this demon has been trying to kill the boy, throwing him into a fire, going to the water and many other such things. Can you imagine being a parent that you have to almost watch your child 24 seven or he's going to kill himself? Watching him 24-7, almost having to tie him up just to take a break. 
What a horrible situation this father has been in. And he's been living with this for years. This hopeless situation. This situation that they've tried everything and it hasn't worked. It hasn't subsided. It's gotten worse. And here's a man who knows that it's just a moment away of not paying attention to his son. And his son is going to die. That pressure that he has on him. This man, no wonder he's desperate. And he's traveled all this way to get to Jesus. And when he comes to Jesus, he runs into his disciples. And nothing happened. Nothing. It didn't get fixed. It didn't get better. Jesus interviews him and starts talking to him. But notice in verse number 18. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and foameth, and gnasheth of his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He says, I came, talked to your disciples. They said, no problem, and it hasn't worked. They all tried. Now this big crowd is here. It didn't work. They told me all I had to do was get to church, and it would fix everything. And didn't work. I did everything your disciples said. And it didn't work. It didn't work. Notice Jesus' rebuke to this. And he answereth him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer? That word suffer here carries the idea to bear with you. How long do I have to put up with you? Bring him unto me. Now that's addressing pretty much everybody there. How long do I have to keep putting up with your faithlessness? How long do I have to keep putting up with your unbelief? You know, sometimes we don't think of how much of a burden it was for Jesus to be here on the flesh. To deal with us. Sometimes we forget how much of a burden it is for him to deal with us now. How come you just won't trust me? How come you just won't do what I asked you to do? How come you just won't? How come you keep trying to do things on your own? Why do I? How long do I have to put up with this? Aren't you glad that Jesus is patient with us and ever loving with us? How many of you are like me and very know that He's looked at us and say, "How long do I have to put up with you? You know better." Oh, what a great God that we have. So he addresses them. Disciples are like, um, because they know what happened. They try to do it themselves. And it didn't work. You know, the secret of the Christian life is not magical words. It's not mumble jumbo. It's not routine. It's God. It's God. It's trusting in him. Not trusting in ourselves. God will allow us to try it ourselves and watch it fail. And then we go, I did what I was supposed to do. Yet we did actions, but we didn't trust God. Do you know that you could go soul winning in your flesh? Do you know that you could pray in your flesh? You know, you could read your Bible without trusting in God. You could do things and it don't work. Well, I read my Bible. I remember dealing with, forgive the, the side illustration, but... I remember dealing with a man whose wife was about ready to divorce him. She was talking about it and he said, I need to get, I need to get God to help me out. 
And I said, you need to get into church. Find yourself here. I'll help you find a church. And he started going to church. All right, I'm going to church. But his motive was wrong. He figured that if he went to church every Sunday or every other Sunday, that God would magically fix and repair the divorce. No. It wasn't the idea of going to church was going to fix everything. The idea was that he was supposed to go to church to get a hold of God, to learn more about God, to find out about him. Because it's Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. The reason why we encourage people to go to church is not because there's something magical here. We do not put something in the air so as soon as you get to church and smell it in and all of a sudden everything's better. I wish it would work that way, but it doesn't. Why do we want people to come to church? Because we want them to come here to search for God. Jesus is the answer. Why do we tell people to read their Bible? Is it the idea that it's a magical formula? It's a recipe book? It's a spell book that if you read these things, that all of a sudden the magical words will swirl around you and all of a sudden you are who you're supposed to be? No, it's the idea that you are supposed to seek after God through his Bible. The idea of prayer. People get to the idea, well, if I pray to God and rub that magic lamp, and if I say the magic words, then God will grant my every wish. And they wonder why prayers aren't answered. The purpose of prayer is to seek after God. Jesus is the answer. All of these other things are vehicles to get us to him. Your Bible reading, church, prayer. It is God that is the answer. Even when we pray, we need to remember it's not our prayers that are doing the work. It is God who hears our prayers that is doing the work. I heard some foolish preacher said that we need to get uh, circle-centric and that was some big buzzword of the day. That if we get all of us praying, and the more of us that we get praying, the more that God will answer our prayers. And that sounds super spiritual and all. But it's not the idea of how many people are praying. It's how many are actually getting a hold of God and saying, God, what do you want? Amen. It's getting to Him. You understand? It's not the idea that if we get enough of us, we could bully God and make him do what we want him, us to do. Does that make sense? It's God that does it. It is God that we're seeking after. It is him. It is God that must do these things. But we need that reminder. That statement of old faithless generation was to his disciples as well. Because they got so used to the Christian life that they were doing these things themselves instead of depending on God. So now Jesus is dealing with this man and questions him again. But I want you to see in verse 22 the man comes up and says have compassion on us. Help us. Jesus I'm trusting you. Help me. What was Jesus' answer? Verse 23. And Jesus answered unto him, If thou canst believe. Now I want you to think about this. How big of a statement that is to this man. When the man came to his disciples, they said, Trust us, just believe. 
and it didn't work. Another disciple said, believe, and it didn't work. Believe, and it didn't work. Now, you know what Jesus has told him again? Believe. 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 Trust in me. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Do you believe that statement? Well, maybe it's the problem. All things are possible to them that believe. Believe on who? Believe on what? Believe on God. With God, all things are possible. Can God fix our nation? Yes or no? Don't answer out loud, but that's a rhetorical thing. Can he fix our question? If you say no, well then guess what? All things are possible. We look at our hopeless situation with our nation and say there's no way to fix it except God. You may look at your family situation and look at the person that's breaking your heart. And you say, there's nothing. I've tried everything. With God, all things are possible. Just believe, trust in him, depend on him. Well, my financial situation, how is that going to work out? With God, all things are possible. Just believe in him. How are we going to survive this? How are we going to do this? How is... With God, all things are possible. And when we say all things aren't possible, that's when we're not believing. All things are possible. There is a solution for our nation. Absolutely without a doubt. There's a way it can be fixed. Absolutely without a doubt. There is something to do with your physical health. There is a solution. Absolutely. No, without a doubt. Your finance, your physical, your family. There is a solution without a doubt. God can do something. With God, all things are possible. What is the requirement for you to believe? That word believe isn't the idea of making a wish. It's utter dependence on God. Can you trust him and him alone? For example, if I had a chair and I believe this chair would hold me up, it does me no good until I actually sit into it. This idea of belief, here's a good definition for you. The idea of belief is a belief that produces action. Belief is a belief that produces action. I can say, I believe this holds me up. But if I do nothing with it, I don't believe. It is not until I truly depend upon it that I believe it. Even if I kind of halfway sit and halfway hold myself up, I'm not trusting in it. I'm not depending upon it. The idea of believe here is to put your complete dependence on. And that is the hard part because we like backup plans. If this doesn't work... Well, then I can do this. No, it's God and God alone. With God, all things are possible. What is the requirement? Full and utter dependence. To take your hand off. To lift your legs up. To truly trust in it alone. That's the hard part. That is what he is asking him to do. He says, your faith has let you down before. Your belief in things has let you down before. 
Some people say, I'll never come to church because they let me down. Hey, church people may let you down, but God will never let you down. Well, I prayed before. Hey, you may let you down, but God will never let you down. God is always good and he's always right. He's always dependable. He is trustworthy. Can you trust him? So what's this man's reaction to this? It was a very honest reaction. Verse 24. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears. Notice that tears. Lord, I believe. Help me. Help thou mine unbelief. You know what that is? That's called faith. Some people define faith uh, weirdly. But you know what faith truly is? I believe. I hope. I know God is going to do it. I hope. I believe. Help my unbelief. That's what faith is. You know, if you had absolute perfect idea, that's called sight. That means you could touch it. I believe without a doubt, with 100% assurity, I'm going to heaven. But you know when it's finally going to be true? When I'm finally there. Until then, it is belief. Do you know that it doesn't matter how much faith you have? It is the object of your faith that matters. You say, my faith wavers. As long as you're still looking at the right object, that's all that matters. You say, I think this is not going to work, but I'm going to trust God the best I can. And you put your full dependence on him. That's faith. The idea of having faith isn't the absence of doubt. It's that I don't know if this is going to work out or not, but I'm putting my whole dependence on him anyways and clinging on to him and watching him work. I'm trying to encourage you here. Because we all get to the place that say, I hope. I think this is going to work. I hope. And stepping out. That's what faith is. It is the faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. There's evidence there, but it's invisible. It's not seen. It is things hoped for. That's what faith is. And now it's not mystical or wistful, but it is a type of faith that you put your full dependence on. It produces action. <clears throat> it's going out and clinging to it, not knowing if it's going to hold your weight, but I'm going to do it anyways because this is what I'm supposed to, and doing full dependence on it. With God, all things are possible. What is the requirement on our part? Believe. Believe. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him to believe. By the way, Jesus did not rebuke this man's tears. In fact, this man is showing true faith here. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. In fact, those tears show even more the idea that, Lord, I don't know. I just need you. I'm trusting in you. I'm depending on you. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to die. If it doesn't work, my son's going to die. But I have no other option, no other choice. I'm trusting in you and I'm scared. There's nothing wrong with being scared. 
Just trust Him. Depend on Him. And so we could see this man's come up. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit and said unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter into him no more. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was one as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. Now, pause there. Remember that the scripture sometimes is black and white. But I want you to think about this. Jesus said, come out of him. And the man convulses and he falls down and he's not breathing. He's still. Now the, the crowd starts talking. I think he's dead. But let me remind you who's there. His father. Jesus said, rebuke. And the man says, it's going to work. It's going to work. He's dead. When people started saying he was dead, don't you think the father there would, had his heart sink down? Jesus told me to trust in him, and it doesn't look like it's going to work. That's still part of faith. That's still part of trusting in God. Will you still trust in him when it doesn't look like it's going to work? Will you still trust him when it seems like, I've done what God told me to, and it's not working? Do you give up? You trust him. You're still depending on him. You're still clinging to him. But Jesus said, he's not. Reaches down, grabs his hand. Took Verse 27, but Jesus took him up by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Oh, praise the Lord. This boy was healed in front of everyone. The crowd's no longer riotous. The crowd is no longer ready to get to the disciples. The scribes are now being quiet. Judas is probably slinking back from whatever shadow he was in. But now the crowd disperses and the disciples come up to Jesus privately. And I want you to see this third thing here, the troubled disciples. The troubled disciples. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? It was a good question. Uh, Jesus, we kind of don't want to ask this question, but we need to. How come it didn't work for us? I mean, we've cast out demons before. We've done it a bunch of times. Why didn't it work? Why didn't it work? We did everything that we were supposed to. Why is it still falling apart? Verse 29, he answers them. And he said unto them, this kind, this kind can come forth by nothing. I want you to put a period there in your mind. This kind can come forth by nothing. Nothing you can do. You can't do it. You can't make it work. But. That word but is a conjunction that carries the opposite. You can do nothing. Nothing you can do can make this work. All the stuff you did before, it's not going to work. But by prayer and fasting. Now this is where we need to teach you a little bit about fasting. The word fasting does carry the idea of absence of food. And it carries the idea when you fast that what you do is you set aside food for a time and set yourself apart 
to pray to God. Now, some people do not fast correctly. Some people think, well, all, all it is is me in absence of food, and I'll get my answer to prayer. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to distract myself. And so I'm going to fast, but I'm going to watch TV all day, and I won't think about how hungry I am. That's not fasting. There are some people who said, oh yeah, I'm fasting. And they find some other distraction that they're going to do. No, 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 it's fasting and prayer. You set yourself to say, God, I'm going to depend on you. I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to get set aside a time that I'm going to have the absence of food and I'm going to pray. Now, some people say, well, that's because we get to the idea that if I don't eat, God will look down and see how pitiful I am. And when he feels so sorry for me, he'll answer my prayer. That's not it at all. You know why, what fasting is for? It's not for God. It's for you. What happens when you fast? Well, you start to get hungry. You start to get hunger pains. You start to get to the place where you feel weak. You start to get to the place where you realize how weak your flesh truly is. You begin to realize how frail you really are. And you realize that you can do nothing. It truly has to be God. Most of our problem of why all things are not possible is because we think we're strong enough to do it. I can fix my husband. I can fix my child. I can fix my boss. I can fix my finances. I can fix my health. And if I ask God, he'll come alongside with me and he will help me do it. By the way, that's how most of us are on a daily basis. I can do it. And if I pray, then God's going to go alongside with me and help me do it. That means that we're the lead. He is the assistant. Amen. And we like it that way because we like to get things done. We like it for, look at what I did. I said this and it changed their mind immediately. By the way, that's why Facebook doesn't work. Nobody's ever been convinced by a Facebook post. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. And when I tell him and I logically explain all of this, he's going to fall down on his knees and repent and fix everything he's ever done. You ever think it's going to happen? I have, I'll admit. I come up with these great things of logic and convincing things. And it never, not once has it ever worked. We like to do things ourselves, and that's the problem. What is faith? Dependence on God alone. Not dependence on me plus Jesus. Or me helping Jesus. It's him and him alone. Fasting brings us to the point where we realize that we're in the way. I'm weak. I'm frail. I can't do it. I can't even keep myself alive. Go ahead and go without food for how long you go and see if you can keep yourself alive with no food. Go ahead and don't drink water for a while and see what that does to your health. You can't sustain yourself. You need help to live. You need God's air, by the way. All this does, fasting, when it works correctly, brings us to the idea of how weak and frail I am. And I'm coming to the place where I realize it has to be God and God alone. 
And that my response is, God, you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. It's not dependent on me. It's dependent on you. You get it done. You do the work. Now, God doesn't make us get off the hook. He will tell us what to do. And if we truly believe him, we will obey him knowing that he is going to get the work done. But the problem we have is that it's all about us. And we try to get things done. And we can get some things done some of the time. Can you lead someone to the Lord in the flesh? Yeah, because God's word is still powerful and it can still do its work. Sometimes I think early on I led a lot of people to the Lord by accident. That God used me in spite of me, not because of me. I was in the way and God still got him saved even though I was in the way. When I try to counsel people, I remember many times early on, I try to counsel people with my own wisdom. Let me tell you what to do. You know, if you give someone peace of your mind, you're losing part of that mind that you need for yourself. It has to be God and God alone. And Jesus said, this kind cometh not by prayer and fasting. With God, all things are possible if you believe how am I going to get to that place where I believe and trust in him and him alone? Prayer and fasting. Finally getting to the place because of fasting, I realize I'm the problem. I'm in the way. God would have got this done if I wouldn't keep jumping in the way and trying to fix things myself. When you realize that, it changes everything. I'm the problem. You know what's wrong with our nation? It's not the people going crazy. It's us. We're in the way. We won't let God work. We won't trust him to work. We won't depend on him to work. We won't pray. We won't fast. Because we got the bright idea that we could fix it. We can make a difference. Or worse yet, we can't do anything about it. And God can't do anything about it. So I'm just going to give up. That's even worse. No wonder Jesus rebuked them and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Because this kind cometh not, but by prayer and fasting. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. With the idea with the word believe is the idea of an action that produces or a belief that produces behavior. It's the idea of utter dependence on God. Not me. And so, let me tell you that you need to fast. You say, well, I think I can do it without fasting. Yeah, there's that me again. There's that I again. <laughs> you may think that you're the humblest person in the world. And that you wrote a book about humbleness and how the... 30 most humble people you know and how you train 29 of them. The precursor to the book, Humbleness and How I Obtained It. You may think that you are the most religious, spiritual person, but you need to fast. Why? Because you're in the way. We, we need to fast often to remind ourselves it's not dependent on me. 
because we get back into that, it's all about me and I could get it done so quickly. So quickly. It's not about us. This kind, this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. If you have a situation that you've tried to fix, you've tried to pray, and you haven't fasted, you're the problem. Because you're still in the way. You're not letting God do it alone. That idea of fasting isn't getting God's attention. It's putting our attention and realizing how weak and frail I am. And I can't do it. It has to be God. But with God, all things are possible. We just have to believe, fully trust Him. We're living in a this kind right now. We're living in a time where not a single one of us can fix this world. But God can. You may be living in a home situation that is of this kind. Let me tell you the only way it's going to be fixed is by prayer and fasting. In fact, sometimes, this isn't a guarantee, but sometimes you'd be surprised how quickly something will get fixed after you fast properly. And God says, I've been waiting for you the whole time to get out of the way. So many times that has happened and I've heard people tell me about that. We just don't realize how much of the way we're often in. What I want you to do is this. This is my challenge to you. Fasting requires preparation. It's not just, well, I'm going to fast. There's a preparation for it. You need to schedule it. You need to look at your schedule and understand what you're going to do. If you're going to run a marathon, don't fast the day of the marathon. But you need to put it on your schedule. And you need to prepare for it. For the Hebrew day, their, their day began at sundown. So me personally, how I do my fast is from sundown to sundown. So I would begin a fast at sundown and I would break the fast at sundown. You need to prepare for it. Eat a decent energy meal before, not fats and stuff, but energy meal, not sugar. Don't have an M&M meal or blizzard, but you need to eat healthy beforehand to have the energy to go through, but you're going to feel it. And you need to put yourself in a place where there's no distractions. Set yourself. Even if you have to go to work, you could still pray while you work. But put yourself in a place where you're praying, communing with God, reading the Bible. We'll talk more about fasting towards the end of the year. I'm going to go through a specific biblical idea of fasting. Then when you break the fast to do it healthily, you need to make sure that you um, eat a salad or something. Don't just get the heaviest thing. It'll kill you. But have a salad to break the fast. During that fasting time, depending on how you do your fast, you could have water. Drink water. That's not off limits. I would avoid saying soda is is thing because that you're getting energy from there. But you need to trust in God. Depend on Him. But what I want you to do is I want you to schedule in the next week or so. And I want you to schedule a time of fasting. I want you to, to already come up with what you want to fast about. It could be the idea of revival. It could be the idea of something personal in your life. 
But we need to fast and pray and put God to the test here. And during that time, work on getting you out of the way and say, God, I'm trusting in you. I'm depending on you. You do this. Schedule a time. Prepare for the fast. (laughs) Understand what is required there. And then prepare how you're going to break your fast. Have a salad or something already ready. Sundown to sundown. And put God to the test. These things come by nothing. But by prayer and fasting. There are some things in our life that are not going to happen until we're out of the way then stop being in the way. Stop being in the way. Put God to the test. See if he doesn't come through. Depend upon him. See, now (laughs) your challenge is yours. Do you believe the Bible enough to do it? Put him to the test. That is what I'm inviting you to do now. On our invitation today, you may have something heavy on your heart you need to pray for. Pray for it. But I also want you to schedule time with God now. That's what I'm inviting you to do. When are you going to fast? What are you going to fast for? How are you going to get it done? Make it a specific thing. Then keep that appointment. Look forward to that appointment. Plan for it. And watch God work. Put him to the test. It's one thing to hear a message like this and not do anything about it. Put it to the test now. Don't say, I'm going to wait until something's really serious. There's enough serious things around you. Put them to the test. You should get to the place where you fast often. I'm not saying every day. I'm not even saying every week. But there's enough things around your life that God needs to intervene with. Why not watch him Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.